Good morning, church. Man, I don't know. I don't know how you hold it together. <laughs> you know, watching something like that. <clears throat> it's uh I think that's the great equalizer, right? It doesn't matter where you come from, what part of the world you live in. Doesn't matter if you can speak. Doesn't matter if you can't speak. Doesn't matter if you can hear or you can't hear. We all have a condition that needs to be remedied. And, uh, you know, I heard a great message this morning. And pastor was talking about, you know, suffering, <laughs> suffering. That's not a that's not a popular topic. And unfortunately, even within the church, some churches, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about suffering. But you and I will suffer to some degree in this life. It, it's, it's part of life. You cannot live this life in this world apart from suffering. The Bible is clear that Jesus said that his followers will drink of the cup that he bears to some degree. The interesting thing about suffering, though, and I don't know that young man's story, but obviously, you know, getting beat in your sleep because you can't hear that's suffering. Who wants to get beat? I don't want to get beat standing up, <laughs> let alone getting beat in my sleep. But, you know, the suffering that you and I endure, whatever extent it is. It's supposed to draw you in closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when you recognize not only your suffering, but more importantly, his, because there's no one who's ever suffered in this life more than Jesus Christ. He identifies with your suffering because he's been there. He's done that. I mean, he's the he's the king of kings and Lord of lords. He came down out of the glory of heaven to live amongst men and women so that men and women can be rectified to be put in a right standing situation, be reconciled to him. The God of all creation came down into life, into flesh, and lived as a man, 100% man, 100% God. And, and what did the world give him? The world reviled him. <laughs> the world mocked him. The world, uh, we, all of us, are our sinful nature, our waywardness against God. We caused him to go to the cross. But you see... This is the most important thing that you and I have to remember about the suffering that Jesus Christ endured. You see, he didn't endure suffering for himself. He didn't endure suffering so he could suffer. He's God. <laughs> he, he, he lives outside of space and time. He's not a created being like you and I. He suffered for our sake. So that when you go through whatever you go through... You being able to identify with him, pressed up against him, recognizing what he's gone through, that will get you through all of your situations, all of your issues, all of your trying times. As David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. We talked about this maybe a month ago or something, but, I, you know, the epiphany came to me one day when the Lord revealed to me that from the onset of birth, you're in the shadow. You're in the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, that just, that just is what it is. You know, Jesus didn't pull any punches and we do our best here to not pull any punches either. We just we expound on what the what the text says, what the Bible says. And, you know, as you walk through life, well, <laughs> until we get to that place where 
you know, we're with him forever. You're walking through that valley. But the beautiful thing about that, that portion of scripture is uh, there's light. There's light. There's light. We know that because there's a shadow. If there's a shadow, that means that that light is, is greater than that darkness. And even though that darkness is, is, is there, the, the light of, of the Lord, uh, which obviously the sun represents, the physical sun in that, in that instance represents the son, Jesus Christ. He, he, he's there. He's watching over you as you go through that valley. So, you know, just be encouraged uh, in that wherever you are. I don't know what your condition is. I don't know where you are with the Lord this morning, but just just trust that he has a plan for your life. And it's a plan of beautiful things, joyful things, a plan of redemption for your life, a plan of healing, a plan of of seeing you be used to sow seeds so that you would be used to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, whatever your spirit of influence. Amen. Amen. All right. This morning, um, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 22. It's crazy that, uh, man, I'm like, it seems like we just started this book. And, uh, you know, one of my one of my pastor buddies told me a while ago, he's like, be ready to spend (laughs) a lot of time in the book of Revelation. And, uh, you know, it's a trip that we're here and we're in the last chapter of the book. Uh, But I'm excited for the message this morning. Uh, It's a great portion of scripture, great reminder of of just, uh, gosh, the Lord's love for us and how, again, he 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 paints a picture where he always gives us a choice. We always have a choice. Don't ever, ever fall into the trap of Satan and thinking you don't have a choice. You see, many people walk around in this life and they act as if they don't have a choice. Oh, well, you know, my grandpappy lived like this and I'm from the hood and oh, blah, blah, blah. Or my wife did this. My, my, my husband did that. I get it. I'm not making light of those circumstances. They're real. But you always have a choice. I remember when I was growing up, my mom used to always say to me, unless someone has a gun to your head, you have a choice. And even then, when someone has a gun to your head, you still have a choice. You don't have to submit to what somebody's trying to get you to do. But if you're in fear of losing your life, then that's a whole other thing. But that's a whole other sermon in and of itself. But we're in Revelation chapter 22 this morning. We'll be in verses uh, 6 down through 13. So uh, when you get there, I'll give you a minute. Uh, if you got your Bibles or if you got whatever, your phone, whatever. If not, um, we do have uh, the scriptures that will be on the screen behind me. Hopefully you can see past me. And, uh, but when you get there, if you could, please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll go ahead and I'll read the text. We'll pray and then we'll get into our message for this morning. Once again, Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 down through 13. This message is simply entitled, Jesus is Coming. This is part one. We'll get into part two next week. And it says, starting in verse six. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of of the prophecy of this book for the time is near let the evil doer still do evil 
and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompass with me to repay each one for what he has done. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just, uh, Lord, even just reading those words, Lord, I'm just humbled. And it brings the acknowledgement that you are God and I'm not. Lord, you are the one who sits on high. You're the one who has a mighty throne. And Lord, you should be recognized as such. Lord, may we turn from our wicked ways, Lord. May we remember you, Lord, and choose life today. May we humble ourselves before your mighty hand. Your word says that you will exalt those who humble themselves, but you won't work through the proud. Lord, there's nothing at all that we ever have anything to be prideful about. Lord, who are we but dust? But you think so highly of us that you would pursue us, that you would go to the deep depths of hell. You'd go to the grave so that we could live, so that we could have eternal life. Father, I pray that your anointing would be upon me, that your anointing would be upon this word, this message, and that you would reach out to every single person under the sound of my voice. Father, that people would allow their hearts to open up to your word. May you work. May you speak. May you do the work that only you can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not man. It's not some kind of opinion or idea. This is the infallible word of God. This is the hallowed world word of yours. And so, Father, may you do what only you can do. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. All right. So last week, just a quick uh, recap. It kind of helps us recalibrate and get ready for what we're going to get into. So last week, we looked at the river of life. Uh, that will flow from the throne of God. This is in the third heaven in where God dwells, right? This is after all has gone down and, and basically believers are there with him for eternity. It will basically flow through the main street of the New Jerusalem. That is what heaven is called, the New Jerusalem, reaching the utmost parts of the city. Everyone there will, will be blessed by its waters and the fruit which the tree of life bears uh, 12 months out of the year, in and out of season. You see, now, nowadays as we're here on earth, uh, you know, certain fruit only, only produce itself so often. But in heaven, it won't be like that all year round. <laughs> all precious, beautiful fruit that is going to be uh, fruitful and fit for you as a believer will be bloomed in and out of season. It will always be ripe. Nothing will be accursed in heaven. There'll be no death, no sorrow, no pain, no tears, nothing, uh, you know, no blemish. There's, there's, there'll be no sin, right? We know sin is a, is a term for an archer. They shoot the bow and they try to hit the bullseye. And, and, and poor Robin Hood, he, he didn't make the mark. <laughs> and that's what sin is. There'll be no sin in heaven. Nothing accursed. We'll be able to worship him adequately. You know, sometimes, you know, many times um, 
you know, in, in, in service, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to worship the Lord and, you know, I got my hands raised in submission to him. And then, you know, all of a sudden some some whack thought comes into my mind. Well, what is that, man? I'm trying to worship the Lord. Well, obviously, it's spiritual warfare. We're not going to deal with that in heaven. You're not going to have to deal with, you know, fending off the fiery art, the darts of the enemy in heaven. It's not going to be that way. You see, we won't be hindered by the distractions of this life. Not going to be tripping off uh 545, who's playing? <laughs> Not going to have to worry about, you know, uh, well, the Phillies lost anyways. I was going to crack a joke about that, but don't have to worry about the World Series. Right? We're going to be unhindered by the things that distract us in this life. We're going to be able to have our focus solely on the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, the thing is, we're going to be filled with so much joy doing that. Again, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, because of the fall of mankind, we work now and it, it a lot of times work sucks in the sense of you got to toil. We talked about this last week. You got you to earn your keep by the sweat of your brow. But it was never always, it was never supposed to be that way. Work was supposed to be a joyous thing. It wasn't supposed to be this, uh, I got to get up at five in the morning uh, to drag myself to the bath. No, it wasn't supposed to be that way. In heaven, it's going to be a glorious thing. The tasks that we're given, you're going to rejoice in being able to do those things. You're going to do it with a good heart. You're not going to be grumpy or miserable about it. Amen. Jesus Christ will be our portion forever. Remember that because that is setting up the stage for what we're talking about this morning. This, that will prepare us for our text this morning. As we're accustomed to, there's several main points that are in this message. And the first one is this. When Jesus Christ returns, those who will be blessed are the ones who not only believe, but obeyed. <laughs> Didn't get any amens for that. <laughs> not only those who believed, but those who obeyed his words, his proclamations, his teachings. Those are the ones who will be blessed. You see, it is extremely important, church, that we get this picture correct in our minds. You see, these words came from Jesus Christ himself, not the apostle John. If you have the Bibles where the, the, the words of Christ are in red, then you would have saw that as we read this a minute ago. Because Jesus is the one saying this. It's not the apostle John. Jesus says in verse 7, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Well, that's exactly what it's saying. The one who keeps, not the one who reads. We talked about this last week. You can read and read and read and read. And I'm not saying reading is a bad thing. But if you and I are not comprehending what we are actually reading... It doesn't do any good. You have to comprehend. You have to understand. It's the understanding of the truth that you're reading that flips the switch. And you get it. And it clicks. And you're like, okay, now I get it. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be that person that, you know, the, the, the mother says, don't touch the burning stove. Oh, I am going to go touch the burn, the burn, ah! I'm going to touch the burning stove. You know, we have the opportunity through the word of God 
to, to read the word, let the word sink in, sink deep within us, let the Holy Spirit reveal its wisdom, its truth, and then we can learn lessons without actually having to go down those paths and be like, man, I destroyed my marriage because I committed adultery, uh, and now my family's ruined, now my marriage is ruined, now I got to reconcile all these things. The Bible tells you, don't do it. <laughs> The Bible tells you, don't steal. Don't. I'm going to just go back to the Ten Commandments. It's all right there. But the good thing is, the, that's a good thing. The great thing is also the Bible tells you what to do. To incur blessing over and over and over and over. Right? It's so real. But we have to, again, comprehend what the Word is saying. And it's as simple as this. I don't claim to be some Bible scholar that understands every single thing in the Bible. But I go to the Lord every time I crack open the book and I say, Lord, empty me of myself. Fill me fresh with the Holy Spirit. Give me insight. Give me your wisdom. Help me to understand what the Word is saying. You see, I'm an unlearned person in the Word of God. I didn't go to seminary. Everything I understand is, and I'm not saying seminary is a bad thing. What I'm saying is the Holy Spirit quickened me, and that's why I understand what I understand. It's straight from the Lord. Not saying that somebody who goes to seminary, we all share the same Holy Spirit. What I'm saying is, I mean, look at Peter, a fisherman. The Lord will take the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. The, the question is, are we willing are we hungry enough to understand, to want to understand, to want to comprehend what the word says? You see, many times we don't want to hear the word because the word is contrary to how we're living. <laughs> That's sharp. That hurts. That cuts. He's telling you, you're not to do this. Don't do this. But you see, sometimes we're so in love with our sin and we don't want to give up that sin that we say, uh, I got time. Well, we're going to get into this in, in, in this message you and I don't necessarily have the time that we think we have. We always think we got time. Today is the day of salvation, the Word of God says. Again, this whole, this whole concept of those who keep the words of this prophecy will be those who will be blessed, what Jesus is talking about. So again, we see here, this is a gracious reminder to you and I that it's not enough to just merely believe. Meaning, to just hold an intellectual understanding and acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is God is not enough. Many people say, Lord, yes, you're God. But they don't live like he's God. They do anything but live like Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Believing in our minds alone does us little to no good. James chapter 2, verse 19 tells us, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe. These fallen angels, these demonic hosts that are running around, lurking around this earth, trying to slither their way into somebody's life to cause havoc, to cause destruction, they believe intellectually that Christ is the Messiah. You see, in this verse, James was pointing out that these demons believe that Jesus is the Christ, but it wasn't a saving kind of belief because their belief in Jesus Christ did not lead them to a life of good works. You see, faith without works is a dead 
faith. It's a dead faith. That faith is worthless. We should be bearing healthy spiritual fruit. Healthy spiritual fruit. Every time I hear a siren, it's like you got to pray. Because either they're going to someone who needs help or they're rushing someone to the hospital who needs help. So, Lord, help whoever is in need right now. But we should be bearing healthy spiritual fruit. You see, because healthy spiritual fruit is a direct reflection of a life converted and renewed in Jesus Christ. Now hear me clear on this, church. We are not saved by our good works. We are saved for. So we're able to, through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, produce good works. That's what we're saved for. That's one of the things we're saved for. You see, good works, a.k.a. obedience to Jesus Christ, is a direct byproduct of having a right relationship with him. You see, when you are in harmony with the Lord God Almighty right here, right? You've heard, seen this analogy many times. Then all these relationships get right because you're right with him, right? And it's cool how it like forms the cross, you know, but when this is out of whack, oh man, it's going to be chaos in every relationship you have because how can you and I produce good spiritual fruit when we're not being obedient on a daily basis to the one who we serve. You see, when you serve your wife, when you serve your husband, when you serve the people on your job, when you serve your kids, your kids, your grandchildren, when you serve the people out in the community, you're really serving Christ. You're serving Christ through the means of serving other people, right? But when we're not right with him, we don't, we just don't do it. I know that in my life for sure. When I'm not right with the Lord, I mean, my relationship with my wife is not good. My relationship with my kids is not good. I mean, we can put on the front and the facade and, you know, shave and put on makeup and look the part. But the inner workings of our hearts aren't right if we're not right with him. But, you see, the, the, the great thing is it can all change like that. You know, what Satan wants to do is drag you down that road and look at all the junk you've done. And, oh, you could never be forgiven. And, and that's what Satan does. He brings up the past over and over again to leave you in a pit of sorrow of of of, of self-depravity of, of self-loathing while the lord is like hey man come get right with me come repent i'm right here i'm waiting on you bud i'm waiting on you girl all you gotta do is come come to me come to my feet lay at my feet lay prostrate put your heart down uh, just just let let me heal you take he's speaking to us for us to take his yoke upon us the yoke that we have is too heavy. The burdens we carry, give, cast your cares upon the Lord. Allow him to do that work within your heart. He can reconcile you. He can make you right. And that's such a great thing. It's beautiful. I only can talk about it because I've gone through it. I've experienced it. I know it's real. Can't, I don't care who it is. Can't nobody tell me the experiences I've experienced were not real. Jesus Christ came down into the muck of the mire and drug me out of the pit. I was on my way to hell. And the Lord Jesus Christ snatched me out of Satan's hand and said, no, he's mine. Why would you ever go back when you've been redeemed? This all goes back to being able to produce good works. It's because you have a right relationship with the Lord. This is why Jesus Christ said, blessed is the one who keeps the words and the prophecies of this book. 
Our faith, if we are truly saved, must move us from mere intellect to action. That is how you can gauge whether or not you're saved. Is what is your life producing? What is going on in your life? What is, what is the Lord driving you to do? What is he giving you ambition and heart to do? And are you being obedient to do that? You can have that today. I know we're all at different places. We all, we all make mistakes. But I'm talking about a lifestyle that's driven by love. Love for God. Love for people. A lifestyle that's driven by wisdom. That, you know, I love the book of Proverbs. It talks about how, like, wise choices will watch over you. And you'll be, you'll be, just, you'll be able to be in the moment and do the right thing because you're seeking after him. It's so sad when you just see people around you and they're just lost. This is a spiritual hospital, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rag on on on, on anyone. I, I mean, I wouldn't do that anyways. But I, you know, but sometimes you know when you look at the state of the church, it, it's sad because people are sitting up in pulpits and they're leading congregations astray because they're teaching heresy. They're teaching heresy. They're teaching lies in the name of Jesus Christ. Or better yet, a lot of times they won't even mention the name of Jesus Christ, but they claim to be a Bible-believing church based on Judeo-Christian values. Just uh, this week, a prominent athlete came out and said some anti-Semitic words. He got caught in an interview saying some bad stuff about Jewish people. I was talking to Lou about it earlier. I won't name the name of the athlete, but it just saddens my heart lost lost in foolishness all right the second main point is this even though we are created with a free will if we choose foolishly we will suffer the consequences you see verse 11 of uh, chapter 22 of the book of revelation is a deal breaker for many but it is the reality that god will never be mocked And a person will always reap what they sow. Again, it kind of falls in line with, with, with the first main point. The angel said to the apostle John, let the evil doer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do righteous and the holy still be holy. Now, the point being made here is not that evil is to be encouraged. Not at all. Far from it. You know, they, again, this is where we have to understand context because people love to take the Bible out of context and say, oh, see, I told you that Jesus wasn't real. I told you that he, he said, hate your mother and your father. Oh, my goodness. Would people please take the time to understand the word back to comprehension. <laughs> Sometimes you got to really dig real deep and go back to the, the Hebrew and the Greek text to understand what's going on here. But context is king. Okay, this is not pushing some propaganda that we should encourage evil. Rather, the angel's words are a statement of uh, inevitability. Excuse me. (laughs) People can do as they choose, but in the end, God will not change his plans. He's not going to change. He's not going to have a shifting shadow for you or for me or for anybody. You want to do what you do? Do what you do. But you will reap the consequences, whether in this life, for sure the next I mean, it just is. I don't take pleasure in saying that. I just have to be honest and real because this is what the text says. When it comes to death in the end times, this is a dire warning. 
Unbelievers who reject the gospel do not receive a second chance to be saved if they die. You see, eternity does not change anyone's status. It is what it is. When you die in the state you die in, that's how you're going to be for eternity. So if you died in Christ physically, then you're going to be with Christ for eternity. If you died apart from Jesus Christ, then you're going to be apart from him for eternity. There's no way around this. It is what it is. You see, when Jesus returns, he will reward the righteous, but he will punish the unrighteous. Daniel chapter 12, verse 10 states that in the end time, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. Again, someday it will be too late for the unsaved to change their destination by repenting and believing in Jesus Christ. That's why Hebrews chapter 3 verse 15 tells us, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, if he's speaking to you, it's not necessarily an audible voice, but if he's placing something upon you and showing you and revealing himself to you, you would be wise to take heed to the call that he's requesting of you so that you can be full of joy, full of peace, full of happiness in, the, in, 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 in spite of whatever you're going through. That doesn't mean your circumstances are going to change. I mean, if you got a broken drain pipe when you left your home this morning, you're going to go home and you're going to still deal with a broken drain pipe and all the ramifications that come with plumbing that's all messed up. But you're going to have the joy of the Lord in your heart dealing with it, you know? Or you want to go home bummed out and miserable and watch the, the Niners suck it up again, even though they won last week. I mean, or the Raiders from my boy right there. <laughs> That's it. I had to pop a shot. Today, church, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Amen. All right. And this is the third main point for our message this morning. Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end. He is all consuming either for our good if we receive him or for our demise if we reject him. Alpha and Omega are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet used to designate the comprehensiveness of Almighty God, implying that God includes all that can be. It's all in him from, you know, in our language, from A to Z. <laughs> in their language, Alpha, Omega, he encompasses it all. One of the meanings of Jesus being the Alpha and Omega is that he was the beginning of all things and will be at the close. Remember, and again, I can't explain it only so much because I have a finite mind because I'm a created being. But God in his, in his, in his eternal state, the Godhead, the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit are not created. They live outside of time, outside of space and time. They live outside of three dimensions. So all this about the universe and all this, they existed before this. The universe was created through Jesus Christ. And again, all you have to do is go to, I don't know, go to, go to a NASA website and, and, and find an honest scientist. I, t I say this all the time. The more the scientists research the universe, the more they come to understand how much they don't know about the universe and how much the universe keeps expanding. It keeps expanding. Well, we serve an infinite good God. 
to me, again, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Duh. Of course it's ever expanding. What do you expect? And I'm not mocking all of what uh, the wisdom God has given man to be able to do things like create rockets and go in outer space and all this and that. I get it. But again, even good things out of context can become evil and become idols. We got all these satellites everywhere and all this and that, and we're trying to go to the moon and trying to or go to Mars and yada yada. For what? What are you really trying to do? They're trying to be immortal. They're trying to live life forever in these little human fleshly tents, thinking that they're gods. It's, a, it's nonsense. They're not glorifying Jesus Christ by doing all what they're doing. Maybe some, I can't say all, I can't make a blanket statement, but I can sure say once we start doing things and we start, you know, lifting ourselves up, we, we want to become deities of some kind. That's the whole thing about nations against nations and wanting world domination and power for what? Not so they could see everybody happy and blessed, not so they could see everybody filled with joy, so they can fill some, some, some weird desire that, that either spawned in their heart or Satan implanted it in them. And they were foolish enough to take it up and think that they could really be somebody big. But nobody's bigger than the Alpha and the Omega. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether it's in this life or the next. Don't think if you don't accept Jesus Christ now that you're going to get away with it and you're not going to bow down. You're going to bow down and you're going to be so sorrowful, wishing you would have accepted him before you died. And you're still going to have to acknowledge him in hell, but you don't have the benefits of being at peace with him. You don't have the benefits of being in his kingdom. You don't have the benefits of being part of the elect. You are now, you know, see, God does not send anybody to hell. Men and women go to hell of their own volition because they raise a clutch fist to him and say, no, not, not, not my way. I don't believe it's that way. I believe that you're going to accept me based on my good works. The Bible talks about it. It's a filthy rag. We don't care about our good works. Our, our good works aren't, aren't meant to save us. Our good works are meant to, to change us and to convert us to show empathy towards other people and have a heart like Christ towards people. But our good works aren't meant to, to boast around about and say, oh, I got all these accolades. He doesn't care about that. It's a menstruated rag to him. It's dispensed in the garbage. The only one who's saved is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. By his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, we're grafted into the vine. So all we can do is be thankful and grateful. That's the heart that we should have. Isaiah describes this aspect of Jesus' nature as part of the triune Godhead in several places. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 4, it says, I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last I am He. In Isaiah chapter 44 verse 6, it says, I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. In Isaiah chapter 48 verse 12, it says, I am He, I am the first, I also am the last. You see, these are clear indications of the eternal nature of the Godhead. So because Jesus Christ is all-consuming, remember, he's an all-consuming fire. <laughs> that's, how he, that's one way he describes himself. What does fire do? Fire stinking consumes everything. I mean, it will eradicate everything. Jesus Christ is an all-consuming God. Because of that, it would be wise for us to choose him now before time runs out. It would be wise. Don't be foolish. Amen?
All right, let's, let's unpack these verses. So 6 and 7, it says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Okay, so we know that the uh, apostle John was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, so that's who he's speaking to. Then he said to me, in, in these few verses in the book of Revelation, we hear parting words from a variety of persons. Now, again, I'm not a Bible expert. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you I know exactly who is speaking. So it isn't as easy to know who is speaking, but the theme makes no matter who's speaking. We know that there's several things that are going on here. Verification, invitation, and a warning. Okay. He goes on to say, these words are trustworthy and true. The angel showed the apostle John, all this reminds him that it's not too good to be true. You see, many times we're like, man, you know, is God real? Could God really love me? Could Jesus really change my life? And we think it's too good to be true. You see, that, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the attack of Satan once again, trying to convince you that you know, the Lord could never love you. So just go back to your old life. Go back to what you're used to doing. Go back to how you are. Don't, don't take any heed to what this Bible nonsense is saying because your life ain't going to change. But it's not too good to be true. Jesus Christ does redeem. Jesus Christ alone saves. He transfers you from darkness to light. How he does it, I can't explain it. It's a supernatural act, but it is real. Don't fall for the lies of Satan that tell you you can't do it, that you, you can't receive it, because that's what he would want you to believe. But you see, John is assured that this is in fact true and faithful. He goes on to say the things which must shortly take place. I am coming quickly. As John reminds us of the suddenness of these events, Jesus Christ himself breaks in with a reminder to all that he is coming quickly. You see, many tend to ask, why does this seem like he's been taking so long? He's coming quickly. You know, and people will mock, man, yeah, you a believer, you believe in Jesus Christ. What, man? He what? He ain't here. I see all kind of carnage. I see kind of all kind of mess. I see all kind of madness going on, but your God ain't showing up. Was Jesus wrong here? Again, this is where context is so crucial. You know, in our English language, quickly means one thing. Kalos, get over here, quick. <laughs> Come right now. Come right, that's what that means in our language, right? But in the ancient Greek, it isn't exactly the same as our word click quickly in the English language. The word quickly with accuracy can actually be rendered suddenly. So Jesus is going to return suddenly. That doesn't mean, so what, 2,000 years ago? So what? He hasn't come right now. When he comes, he's going to come suddenly. The Bible says like a thief in the night. When a thief comes into your home, I hope none of you have experienced a thief breaking into your home, but when a thief comes in, the whole point of the thief is that the thief is going to come when you least expect it. Jesus is going to return suddenly when we least expect it. 
the application is this. God wants to keep all generations expectant, watching for his return. For every generation to be ready. That's why it says he will come quickly. He wants you and I to live as if he's going to return right now. If Jesus Christ was to return right now, what are you going to do? Has your lifestyle up to this point rendered you in a position where you could say, it's the Lord Jesus Christ on his merit that I should be entered, entered into heaven because I, I, I'm redeemed? Or is your life in a place where you have not received the gift of salvation and you don't got a pot to you know what in because now you're standing before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and all you got is you. You see, when this earth is shaking to its core, everybody's going to shake with it. But it's those who are holding on to Christ that are going to be able to stand. Everyone else is going to fall. And that is the reality. I know that's not the popular thing. I know that's not the politically correct thing, but it is the truth. This is not a popularity contest. I am not in this for popularity. I am in this because the Lord has called me to teach and preach the truth and to, first of all, live it out in my own life. Second of all, to share it with y'all. But it's not about being popular. It's not about being cute. It's not about being politically correct. It's about telling people the truth. And the word of God is offensive. <laughs> it's offensive because when we're in sin, we're offended by it because it's pointing us to the truth. And we're like, man, you're exposing me. But in order for a cancer patient to get over the cancer, there's a lot of grueling stuff that has to go on to get that cancer out. And in the same way, spiritually speaking, there's a lot of surgical, precise things that the Holy Spirit has to do to take a sick person who's sick in sin and make them right. So if you're offended, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Praise God. Because it means you still have a conscience and your conscience isn't seared yet. Now, if you can sit here and be like, oh, I'm not offended at all. Either you're obedient to the Lord, <laughs> praise God, or your conscience is seared. And you just have no care because you've been living in debauchery so long and you have a reprobate mind, which the Bible calls it. And you can't even you can't even comprehend. That's what happens when we live in sin too long for seasons of time. It's like Pharaoh. Eventually you can be given over. You see, the only thing that's keeping me here is the anointing of God. Anybody can preach and teach. You can be given the gifts. God will never revoke his gifts, but he will revoke his anointing. If I don't have the anointing of God upon me, what I'm saying is useless. It's pointless. It's just a fool up here babbling. But it's the anointing of God that comes through the obedience that the Lord gives to those who he calls. You are in that same boat. Seek his anointing. It's a blessing. You'll be a great blessing to other people. It's, I don't know, it's infectious. I'm getting, I'm getting off topic. I'm sorry. Ever since the time of the apostles, we've been running along this parallel line on the brink of consumption of all things. The time has always been at hand. We should be living with great expectation of this day. You should be living every day as if, you know, the Lord may return. I, I'll just, I got to say it. <laughs> you know, me and my wife, you know, we had a little tiff a while ago and, you know, she was, um, she wasn't in the bed. <laughs> 
I woke up in the middle of the night and 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 I didn't. I went to my daughter's room and I'm like, I didn't really see anybody in the crib. And I'm like, man, Lord, did <laughs> did you come? <laughs> did I get left behind? Am I gonna be like Kirk Cameron and they're left behind? Oh man, I I was I was tripping. But you know, the devil will play them tricks on you. I was like, man, Lord, do not leave me. <laughs> uh, but you know. We should be prepared. We want to be prepared, right? Unlike the virgins who had no oil in their lamps. I got to read this for sake of context. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. This is a great illustration of being ready. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed... They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish one said to the wise, Give us some oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, Since there will be not enough for, for us and you, go uh, rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were gone to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut afterwards the other virgins came also saying lord lord open to us but he answered truly i say to you i do not know you watch therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour and you know i, I don't take any pleasure in sharing that I really don't take any pleasure in sharing that. But the reality is that should shake you and me to the core. He said, I don't know you because you weren't ready. <laughs> you thought you had time. You thought you could just do whatever you want. And it was going to you were just going to live a loosey goosey life. And then all of a sudden you're going to come up and just be all good with me. He said, no. You did not live a wise life. You did not live in a way where the Holy Spirit was projecting onto you the good things that I had for you and you rejected me. And you thought at the last minute you can come. I know there are such things as deathbed confessions, but like the Ethiopian eunuch, if there's time and wherewithal reason, why would you not get baptized? I know baptism doesn't save you because the thief on the cross got saved, but the Ethiopian eunuch said, oh, I understand the scripture. There's water. Pull over the cares. Let me dip in. Let me get saved. Let me proclaim my life to Christ. Why would we live as if we could just slither on through and then all of a sudden make it? He tells you and I right here. He's not opening that door. Do not miss your opportunity. If you don't get anything else out of this message, do not miss your opportunity. Because we always think we have another day, we have another breath. Every breath, every millisecond that you and I live is a great miracle and blessing from God. And he can take it in any moment. And when he takes it, it's going to be too late. But this is a vivid reminder to walk in fellowship with Jesus Christ while time is still available. You see, no matter how sincere you are in wanting to live for him, if you don't choose him when he gives you time, it is going to be too late. And here again, we see this statement, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This blessing reminds us that prophecy gives us a word to keep, not merely material for interesting discussions or debates. You see, I'm not into all that. 
I'm not into philosophizing and, you know, talking about this and that about the Bible and, and trying to, you know, engage uh, in some kind of debate about it. It's like, nah, man, I just want to share the love of Christ with people. And if people have questions, hey, man, I'll, I'll try to answer you as best I can through the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I believe I've been given the gift of encouragement. I try to encourage people. But, you know, prophecy is a word for us to keep, not for us to be ra- rambling on. And Jesus talked about that, about, you know, don't be, don't be like that. Talking about all this nonsense that's trivial, that doesn't make any sense. The application is this. Please, saints, don't miss this, because it is vital to your health and my health for our walk with Jesus Christ. The main intent of prophecy is to lead us to trust and obey God and to apply his truth to the way we live. It's supposed to be applied to our lives. You see, if you are not living it, then you truly don't believe it. That's the real reality. It's the truth. If you're not living out your faith, you don't really believe no matter how hard you try to convince yourself otherwise. Because there has to come a point where you're like, I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this. Lord, change me. If you cry out from your heart of hearts, he will change you. He will. But you have to be serious about it. And it's not about joining the church and giving a tithe. And it's not about all that. All those things will come in his time. He'll open up a door for the right place you're supposed to be, blah, 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 all that. Raise you up to be whatever you're supposed to be. But if you're not desperate, then he can't do nothing for you. Because that little thing called pride is still in the way. Because you're still like, oh, well, I don't need you that bad. I need you like a whole, whole lot. But I really don't need you to where I'm like, okay, and anything, Lord. Anything. Some of us knuckleheads, I was like that. I, everything had to be stripped from me. Everything had to be stripped. But, you know. I would say the wise person is someone that wouldn't, doesn't have to go down that route. I mean, don't make it to where, man, really? <laughs> you had to go through that to get it? You know, it's like Paul. I mean, he, he lost it all. He lost it all. Respond to the call in your life, amen? All right, 8 and 9. It says, I, John... Speaking of the apostle, I'm the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who kept the words of this book. Worship God. Okay, so we see this statement. He says, I fell down and worship before the feet of the angel. As before, earlier, Revelation 19, chapter 10, chapter 10 excuse me, the apostle was overwhelmed by the vision that he saw, and he bowed down before the angel. In the same way, the angel reminded John that only God is to be worshipped, and that him and the angel both play, both were players on the same team. We're on the same team, man. We're, we're, we're teammates, you know. Uh, we're all together in this. This is what the, the, the angel was trying to share with him. So the application is simply this. Don't, don't create a, uh, don't create, <laughs> don't worship a created being. Don't. You know, I mean, we got all this. It's so subtle in our culture. American Idol. I'm not saying, you know, you're lost if you're watching American Idol. But, you know, Satan lets us get in there and, oh, yeah, I love that. I remember a long time ago in in youth ministry, one of the the people, they said to me, "Watch watch how you use the word love. It's always stuck with me. Don't say you love the 49ers. I don't love the 49ers, man. 
I didn't love the 49ers when Joe Montana played for them. I like them a whole lot, but I don't love them. Love is designated for God and for people. Oh, I love my car. Oh, I love my kicks. <laughs> people tripping. I get what people mean. But you see, do you see the subtleness of how Satan creeps in? And if you are unchurched and if you don't know the truth and if the scripture hasn't been revealed to you, you start going down a path, living your life, and you just don't know. It's crazy. But he said, don't worship any created thing. You see, because that is exactly what Satan is always after. What is he after, church? Worship. He wants worship. He wants people to worship him. In the end times, when they erect that temple in Jerusalem, what is it about? It's about worship. He wants to be ordained. He wants to be looked at as he's God. He wants the attention that is only reserved for El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10 tells us, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, this is Satan speaking to Jesus Christ, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You see, Satan has always tried to take the attention away from the Lord Jesus Christ and draw people away from him to himself. This was the whole situation in the Garden of Eden, right, with Adam and Eve. They were given, ex they were given specific instructions. And what did Satan do? He, he created a climate of doubt to Eve. He said, did God say you shouldn't eat the fruit? <laughs> you get it? Had a little bit of truth in there, but he, he, tried to, he tried to get her to doubt. Why? Because he wanted to pull her away. You see, for us today, anything, no matter what it is, if we place our hope, our trust, our desire, our devotion, our energy, our love for anything other than Jesus Christ, I'm talking about like solely, like we're just so invested in these things, then we have just created an idol for ourselves to worship. I'll give you some examples. Many people do this with family. I have a homie from a long time ago. He got family first tatted on his hand. And at the time, I thought that was the coolest thing. But it's like, ah, bro, you're, you don't get it, man. <laughs> it's, not family, it's not family first. It's really not. It's God first. If it's God first, then your family will take its rightful place. You put family first, you're going to destroy everything. <laughs> I mean... Look at this. Some people, they worship their spouses or their kids. They do every activity under the sun. They'll never miss a game of Little League. But they don't come to church service regularly. But they'll go to every soccer game. You be sure of that. They'll make sure their kids in every camp thing they got going on. But they don't come to church on a regular, on a regular basis. They don't come fellowship with the saints. Because they're so wrapped up in their kids. But their kids could, could benefit from spending more time in God's house. Others worship money. They'll work 70 plus hours and say, but it's for my family. But they can't find contentment. And they always need just a little bit more. 
They're never satisfied. They got every toy you could think of. Yachts, cars, houses, <laughs> every gizmo gadget on the earth. But they're not satisfied. Because only God can fill that God-sized hole in your heart. Not toys, not stuff, not, not women, not men, not drugs, not gambling. None of that stuff fulfills. It just leaves you lusting for more because you got to fill that void. Some people in the church, ooh, some people in the church house, they worship their service to the Lord and not him. They're always needing to do something. They're a busybody. They don't know how to have a Sabbath. They don't know how to just chill. It's like every time you hang out with them, it's got to be like a three-point sermon. Can't just be like, dude, what's up with the, I'm going to say it again, what's up with the Niners, man? Stinking it up. (laughs) You know, they need to invest in something else. McCaffrey's good, though. I like McCaffrey. He's good. He's good. You know, or how about them Broncos, bro? How about that Russell Wilson guy? (laughs) You know, um, but you get it, right? Anything or anyone that takes the focus off of Jesus Christ is a false idol. This is in contrast to Jesus who receives worship from the angels and all believers. Hebrews chapter one, verse six says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And then of men in Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Obviously, that's referencing to when Peter was walking on the water. Then he took his eyes off of Jesus and sank in the water. Jesus had to get him back up. They were all amazed. Think about this for a minute. I'm not bashing. Clearly, I'm not bashing. I'm just telling the truth. If it was wrong for the apostle John to bow down and worship this angel, who is this mighty creature that God created for his glory. And this angel is giving him this message. Why would somebody worship the Virgin Mary? I get it. It's, 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 it's a right intent, but it's the wrong application. Mary, Mary's God, Mary's Savior is Jesus Christ too. And I don't want to get into all that because it's a whole other thing, but Mary had other kids too. She had a gang of other kids. One <laughs> just Jesus, you know, yes, bless, bless her for how she was used, but we don't need statues erected. We don't need statues of Peter or Paul either. You know, we don't even need pictures of Christ. He said, don't do that. You know, so Michelangelo and all that stuff. No, Jesus didn't say do that. That's man's doing. We are not to have images made of the Lord. That's not right. Remember, we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth do we really think we know what jesus christ looked like does it matter that's a side topic but i'm just saying you know we have to make sure our our devotion is is not skewed and and gone in directions it shouldn't be because we're wasting our energy see don't do that it's very striking that someone that received all this revelation was still told don't do that The application is simply, it doesn't matter who you are. Like, that's why I tell you all the time, you better cross-reference what I'm teaching you. You better be in your Bibles understanding what's being taught. Because if I'm teaching heresy, get out of here. (laughs) I'm not exempt. Neither are you. We need to hold each other accountable as we see with with the Apostle John. The angel told him, get up, dude. Don't be worshiping me. I'm, I'm, I'm... 
I'm with you. <laughs> All right, 10 and 11. I'm going to blow through these last few. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evil doer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Okay, because the time is at hand in history, again, we're running parallel to the brink of the consummation of all things. That's why this book isn't sealed. That's why I believe when the Lord showed me what was the next book we were supposed to go through, it was the book of Revelation. It's like, it's supposed to be revealed like, I remember a long time ago, I was, like, so scared of this book. I'm like, I don't want to read that. <laughs> I don't want to study that. Like, you're talking about crazy stuff. Like, I don't want to hear about the end of the world and hailstones and the moon turning to blood. And, what? and the, what? I, don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. But it's like when the Lord calls you to do something, you either do it or you don't do it. Now I understand. It's like, don't be afraid of it. Like, this is supposed to be something you want to know. So you can be encouraged of your security in Christ. And so you can share with other people, man, the glorious news of the gospel. Hey, man, you know, I know times are getting hard. You know, it's getting crazy. But you know what, man? Christ is there. Christ wants you to be with him. Christ wants to save your soul. Christ wants to be your redemption. He wants to be your kingsman redeemer. Would you let him? You know, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. It's all love. Now, if he was a bad God, then he'd be like, I'm not telling you anything. You just figure it out on your own. That's how a lot of those other religions work. You know, I'm not trying to bash. I'm just saying, you do all these good deeds, you don't even know if you're going to get into heaven. You got to make this. You got to make this trek before your life is over to this certain location. Why? To prove that you're devout? That's not how Christianity works. Not at all. Not at all. This is in contrast to the Old Testament prophecy where men sealed the book of Revelation in defiance to God's command. Daniel chapter 8 verse 26 tells us, The vision of the evenings and the mornings that have been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. Okay, and then we see this statement. This is jarring for many people, but it says, For who, who is unjust, let him be unjust still, and who, he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. So, again, this thought that Jesus is coming so suddenly, the reality is this means there's not going to be time for change. There will be no time for a last-minute repentance because the time is already here. And the cold, hard truth is this. If what you have read in the book of Revelation hasn't changed you, there really isn't much hope. There really isn't. Again, I'm talking about someone who has a debased mind. I know God can do all things, so even a, de a debased person could get saved. But there, there, is, there is an aspect of it where you have to respond to the conviction that's been placed upon your heart by the Holy Spirit. That's where you got to do your part. I'm not saying we play a part in salvation. I'm saying he's created us with a free will. So a free will says... I'm either going to acknowledge this conviction and I'm going to say, yes, you are God and I need help and please save me. Or my free will is going to say, I'm going to bypass that and I don't care. I'm going to sear my conscience to uh, the reality of conviction. And so that's why this is so important. The reality is both evil and good will be fixed forever. There's no word here about second chances. Matthew chapter 13 verses 47 through 50 tell us, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. 
so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you see, the choice is up to you today. The eternal reality is that you can either humble yourself before the mighty hand of God or you can gamble your life and your soul hoping that if you do enough good, you'll be received when your time comes. All right, and the last two verses, and we'll end it. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Beautiful children. And I, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Again, we can never miss this note of urgency and warning that Jesus Christ is telling us he's, he's coming. Be ready. Matthew chapter 24, verse 44 tells us, Therefore you, all, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour we do not expect. He says, My reward is with me. If Jesus will give to everyone according to his work, does that mean we are saved by our works? Absolutely not. Again, context. But it does show us that living Faith will have works with it. James chapter 2 verse 20 tells us, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And Titus chapter 3 verse 8 tells us, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. As I give the application, and um, Michelle and Isaiah come up, it's simply this, the quality of a person's life will provide the indication of what they truly believe. The quality of your life. How are you living? What are you doing? That shows what you truly believe in. And lastly, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. As an added incentive for us to do and be what is right, be ready for Jesus' re return. He reminds us who he is. He says who he is. If we really know and understand who Jesus Christ is, we won't have any trouble being ready for when he returns. Again, the term Alpha and Omega is applied to Jesus Christ. It's crowning proof of his deity. The title, the first and the last, is also irrefutable proof that Jesus is Yahweh the Lord. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 4 tells us, who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. I'm going to end with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. I, I, I enjoy reading Charles Spurgeon's writings, and I think he's just so sound for so, you know, back then he had so much insight. But he says about this, in terms together, these terms together mean that Jesus is the beginning, the middle, and the end for the Christian. Preachy orthodoxy or any form of doxy, if you've left out Christ, there is no manna from heaven, no water from the rock, no refuge from the storm, no healing for the sick, no life for the dead. If you leave out Christ, you have left the sun out of the day and the moon out of night. You have left the waters out of the sea and the food out of rivers. You have left the harvest out of the year, the soul out of the body. You have left joy out of heaven. Yea, you have robbed all of its all. There is no gospel worth thinking of, much less worth proclaiming in Jehovah's name if Jesus be forgotten. May we be those who truly see 
the identity of who Christ is and how his desire is to live within you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that, um, that you do this mighty work called salvation and that you allow all to come. You, 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 put, you put out an invitation that anyone who would receive you could be saved forever for eternity. And Lord, we don't believe in raising a hand and it's not a prayer that saves you, Lord, but we know that you do work with men and women. You do work on the inner workings of someone's heart. I pray that if there's anyone here that has the need for you, that they would do business with you, that they would do it now before time is too late and that they would receive you as their personal savior and that they would begin a new life with you. Or maybe it's reconnecting to you, Lord, after so many years and saying, Lord, I give my life over to you. Lord, would you be my God? Would you be my king? Would you show me what you would have for me? I pray that that would be done now. Father, may your will be done. We thank you and love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.